0: St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Well, on the 18th of January, as every year, we start the octave uh, for Christian unity, which lasts until the 25th, the Feast of the conversion of St. Paul. And um, this is something which in Opus Day our founder wanted us to commemorate in union with the church for good reasons, as we shall see. First of all, a little bit of background. The uh, commemoration was started at the beginning of the 20th century by an American priest who got. Uh, brought her to the attention of pope pius x uh, but it was formally approved for the whole church by pope benedict the 15th and has been going ever since and it is part of what one could roughly call the ecumenical movement which has its roots in the late 19th century after the vatican council and uh, consequently one could be forgiven for regarding it as an issue for ecclesiastics and for um, uh, church business uh, and things like that. Because in the popular mind it often is regarded as that actually. But in fact, the whole question of the unity of the church is so close to the heart of Jesus Christ that it is, we could call it, essential. Um, And um, we have that priestly prayer of Christ with the Apostles in the Upper Room on Holy Thursday, after he has instituted for them the Blessed Eucharist, the Sacrament of Unity, and he prays. I do not pray for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word so that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. These are very powerful sentiments indeed. And um, the unity between the members of Christ's body should be the same as that between Father and Son within the Trinity. And as we know, um, The introduction of the three Persons into the oneness of God, which of course is the great Christian innovation, does not, not only does it not destroy the unity of God, it actually reinforces it even more. And so no greater unity can there be than this, this living unity within the, the heart of God Himself. And this is what we are invited to participate in. Later on, you see, St. Peter explains we have become partakers in the divine nature and uh, we have in some way been inducted into God's own nature insofar as it is possible uh, for um, human beings to be. St. Paul uses a slightly different expression, saying we have become adopted sons of God. And uh, consequently, the qualities of the father should be reflected in the children and the first one of course is that there would be one um, and that prayer of Jesus should be our prayer always not just uh, for a week of the year because the, the issue is an um, issue is important Um anybody who studied who studied uh, metaphysics uh, philosophy knows I heard about the transcendental properties of being that is what do all beings have by the very fact that they are and and, and that is what is at the very essence of what it is, what it is to be and the, the philosophers come up with the famous transcendentals unum the verum the bonum and the pulchrum one true good and beautiful all beings have to have these things, and they have to be one, because if the being is not one, of course it is not one being at all, it is separate things. And consequently, it is a property of to be. And consequently, the church, if it is to be, should be one as well. Um, and, um, and so, um, and so we, we do well to uh, reflect upon that. It is a desire of Christ that his that his church should be like himself, should participate rather in his own in his own in his own oneness, and um, we could regard that well. That's a work that God has to do, but like all the things that God has to do in this world, it is um, it, it it is uh, for His disciples to do it, because uh, we we've been we have a, we have, we are after all in mission. We are we are sent, um, and. Um, Indeed, uh, our Lord in the Gospel prophesies that although oneness and unity is God's will and God's desire, God's great desire, it is thwarted. It is thwarted by the enemy. And the enemy is the man who comes along uh, after the Master has sown good, feet, good wheat in his field and he sows weeds. And um, we're told that this has been done by an enemy. And the servants, uh, very properly, want to go and root up the, the weeds. And the master says, no, because in rooting up the weeds, you may root up the wheat also. Let them both grow until the harvest. And then, at the harvest time, um, we will uh, sort it out. And uh, and that's the prophecy of the, the, the of weeds, of the disunity that seems to dog the church. And we'll do so until the end of time. A rather depressing thought if you wish uh, that it would be here forever uh, and um, there's in a sense in which well the, the, the gospel parable says while men were asleep his enemy came and oversold weeds among the wheat uh, in that sense it was a, a neglect or carelessness on the part of the servants that allowed the weeds to be sown in the first place so uh, they cannot say that they're not in some way involved in it uh, and uh, and that, that in fact is our situation that we realize, Lord, very often uh, these weeds have been sown by our carelessness, by our lack of, by our neglect. Uh, one could think of it as being, uh, well, again, an issue for the ministers of the church because they are the ones who are supposed to cultivate the the, the field. But actually, <laughs> excuse me, all um, all these all these. Um, Ecclesiastical issues are issues for the body of Christ for us all. St. Paul, obviously echoing a Christian tradition, um, mentions to the uh, when he, at that meeting, the famous meeting he had with the elders of the Church of Ephesus as he was heading to Jerusalem for the last time, and he meets them at, at uh, Miletus. And there on the beach, we had this famous meeting. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease Night or day, to admonish every one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. So Saint Paul had this uh, in- instinct, this intuition, that there would be disunity. Not well, only he was told, but that it would come from within, from among the disciples themselves. And indeed, in the if when you work to the names, all the names that are mentioned in the New Testament, um, some of the some of the very very early heretics. Uh, one of them was, was one of the first deacons at Antioch, Nicholas, uh, and uh, you realise actually, very early on, and indeed the in the if you read the letters of the sub apostolic age, the the very first apostolic writings, there weren't not only were they did they have problems of, disunity, they were dogged by it, uh, and. Uh, you would imagine, at a time when they had more serious things to contend with, like trying to stay alive in the face of fierce persecution. Uh, but no, it was there, and it was rampant, and it was uh, luxuriant. So we shouldn't think that was something something new at the present time. It's not. It does it does mutate and it does morph, but fundamentally, it is one of the one of those chastisements that is a consequence of human sin, and which is given to us for our correction and for our, um, for, our, for our holiness, for our sanctification. But it's good that we'll be aware of it all the same, because um, certainly a lack of unity is a great hindrance to the spreading of the Gospel. Um, particularly if different people advocate not just different things, which is perfectly acceptable if people advocate different things, but uh, would advocate opposing things that would contradict one another and uh, certainly those outside looking in would have to conclude or whatever else about those people, if they can't agree among themselves, they can't claim to have the truth. And after all, we said the unity was the first of these uh, transcendental, but truth follows. And one of the one of the um, important uh, notions that the church comes is that it comes to teach and one teaches the truth. And of course, if one doesn't have unity, one doesn't have truth either, and therefore one one ceases to speak the truth and to teach the truth, and indeed an awful lot of Catholic missionary effort uh, has been lost because of the fact that people no longer have the sense that they have the truth of Christ. And consequently, the whole whole evangelical process is imperiled. So we' be able to see all sorts of good reasons for this. Now that's what I've been saying of course sounds pretty negative. Um, and it's, it's important to put that out there at the beginning. Um, but um, what do we have to do? Well, the, the whole point of the of the Christian unity octave is that we would pray. that we pray for unity. Now fortunately, uh, we could say we do that all the time. Uh, when we go to uh, Mass, every time at Mass we have a number of intentions that are prayed for in the Eucharistic prayer at the very start. And one obviously is the Holy Father, the Pope, and then the Bishop of the Diocese, and then other various intentions. But the, the first one of all, coming even before that of the Pope, is to pray for the unity of the Church. And that is always a petition. So, and that is good to be that we would be conscious of it and uh, be aware of it. And make it very much our own. At this time, uh, that is during the octave, we make a bone more, more explicitly so. Uh, what is present all the time, because it is not just uh, one, a week a year thing, but it is a constant thing. Echoing our Lord's own prayer at the Last Supper, which is really, it is, um, that is, um, paradigmatic for the whole Church, Always, um, may all That all may be one, even as you, Father, in me, and I in you. Uh, so um, that's that's uh, that's my way of starting. We have the job to pray, and um, after that, um, a very important idea is that we are we are open to all mankind, people who are of different um, beliefs from from ourselves. And we are very happy to dialogue with them about anything. And uh, indeed, that too requires the first thing that one requires is that one understands one's own position. So, therefore, a very basic, important, a very very basic idea for um, being able to promote the unity of the church is to understand what the church is and what we are, what our role in it is. And uh, being able to explain all of the teaching that the church has as well. Because very often maybe we cannot do this as as effectively as we would like. And um, um, and that is what has been behind the the, the missionary endeavor of the church from the very beginning. St. Paul has has an expression. Woe be to me if I preach not the gospel. He had a sort of urge which drove him all the time. He felt an obligation to do it, uh, uh, which caused him to be internally restless. And he always wanted to go to places where nobody else had gone before. And when he had finished in what he had regarded, well finished, wasn't finished of course, he'd only made an initial announcement, really, of the the Gospel in various places of 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 the Middle East. He felt, I've now got to go to the West as well. And there was a very strongly rooted tradition that he, in fact, did go to the west, as mentioned in St. Clement's letter to the Romans, uh, I beg your pardon to the Corinthians, uh, of the end of the first century, St. Paul did go to the west, to Spain, uh, because he wanted to go there too. We don't know anything about what he did, other than the fact that he went there. And he came back to Rome, and it was very quickly afterwards, he was martyred. But that sense of urgency, and that of, of necessity rather, uh, is good for us to reflect upon that we would also try to share that too, and feel, (coughs) feel obligated in the same way. Um, Now, um, this business of evangelization, which is what is behind this, and prayer for unity, could cause us to think, well, nowadays, you see, the word truth is not, um, is not fashionable. Um, the notion of a univocal truth is, uh, goes all against the relativism of our time. And um, consequently, people say, well, therefore, you, you can't be preaching at people because um, they've got their ideas and you've got your ideas. And le- let's leave it at that. It's certainly true uh, that we all have our ideas. And uh, very often the ideas are not just uh, different, but they are diametrically opposed. Uh, and nevertheless, um, they can't all be true. Uh, And uh, we cannot relativize the truth or we will end up throwing things at one another as in fact has happened constantly in history. Well, here I have an idea. Um, This is from St. Josemaria, it's not literal but it's the idea of what he wanted to say. He says, when searching for the truth there are no victors or vanquished. A person who discovers the truth is always victorious. And um, the, the example he gives us is that of the parable of the man who goes and finds the treasure in the field. And what does he do? He goes away and he sells everything he has and he buys the field because then he makes the treasure his own. And in that sense every truth is a discovery of the individual and you can only discover things for yourself, if somebody else shows them to you, they're not a discovery, they're a revelation perhaps, but they're certainly not a discovery. And uh, But the truth has to be discovered, uh, because th- only then can you make it your own. And and consequently, for that to be the case, that's why when one begins to understand you, yeah, there has to be prayer, there has to be, <laughs> excuse me, there has to be a lot of prayer. Now. Uh, what we're talking about could apply to anybody, uh, of any background whatsoever, but the whole purpose of the octave of Christian unity is much more focused than that. It is that all of those people who believe in Christ as our Lord and Savior would be, would be one in faith and in worship and in discipline. Uh, it's, it's focused on Christians rather than non-Christians. And this has always been the... Um, this has always been the Church's objective in this matter. We, when we talk about this Christian unity, we tend to think about um, union with the Anglicans, uh, with, the, with the Protestants in general, because that's what we have in this part of the world. But when the, when, the, when the Holy See thinks about Christian unity, it's thinking along different lines. I want to read to you something here. This is now, this is some years old at this stage, uh, Back this is dated to, 2003, but it gives a sense of what what's involved um representatives of the early eastern churches separated both from rome as well as from the byzantine orthodox churches during the council of chalcedon in 451 451 is a long time ago are in the are in the vatican to relaunch the second phase of dialogue leading towards full unity in the first phase of dialogue pope john paul ii and these christian churches signed important joint declarations on the nature of Christ. Given the alleged monophysitism, past years of dialogue with Rome have clarified that the schism originated over problems of communication and language in understanding Christological faith. The clarification is demonstrated, for example, in the joint declaration signed by John Paul II and the Armenian Catholicos, Karakin I, in 1996, which both professed that Christ is the Word of God made flesh, perfect God in his divinity, perfect man in his humanity. In addition to the Armenian Apostolic Church, these churches comprise the Orthodox Coptic Patriarch of Egypt, the Syro-Orthodox Patriarchate of Antioch, the Orthodox Church of Ethiopia, the Orthodox Church of Eritrea, and the Syro Orthodox Church of Malankar. Uh, until I'd read this, uh, this, this this is a news item from the from the Holy See. Until I'd read this, I hadn't realized that some of these churches actually existed, and they go back to go back to the dawn of Christianity. And we have been separated for so long. And, uh, and these are important issues. Now, it is true, of course, that these churches numerically are not very important. And their, their, their liturgy and their practice has become ossified over centuries. And uh, it very much it is uh, almost like a, like a museum artefact in some ways. I don't mean to be in any way disrespectful of them. But, um, but at the same time, they preserve wonderful things about the, the origins of our faith, which maybe we have not preserved in the same way. So it's important that we will regard that as, 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 as a great step forward. Well, I haven't heard subsequently what happened, but I think they have kept these things quiet so as not to upset other people. Certainly I know that the Copts in Egypt have been under severe persecution from uh, Muslims in recent years, as we know. And uh, we have to pray for them in a special way, that they would be strong in the faith. But beyond that, again, of course, we have this whole issue of unity with the Orthodox, which is a far more numerous uh, body, both the Greek Orthodox in the whole of the Middle East and then the Russian Orthodox in the Eastern Europe and beyond, because that, too, is, um, is ongoing. And um, um, here, too, we could say that the differences are very much differences of language, but they're also differences of culture and of history. There have been a lot of things done in the past which, um, which were hurtful, and things said indeed which were hurtful too, and those things did not heal in a hurry. And when the Holy Father, uh, that is Pope John Paul II, started his procedure of purification of the memory, looking back towards the, the things that happened in the church in the past, he was concerned particularly about this whole issue of disunity, disunity uh, with, the, with the Greeks, with the Orthodox, of or both Greek and Russian persuasion. Because um, he wanted the church to breathe once again, with both lungs, east and west. Uh, we tend to forget about the east very often, but it is it is it is there too. It's uh, only when you travel there you realise how significant it is. So that's that that, that gives us a context uh, that is that is ongoing, and indeed the present Pope, Pope Francis, of course, following in the footsteps of his predecessors. Uh, is very keen to be able to visit these places and to visit these in- individuals and indeed the communities themselves. So we, that's it, that's it, that's, that is um, an intention um, that we should uh, have always in mind. Now, for us, uh, that is for Catholics, we have also, we have um, a touchstone. Or a reference point for for belief, uh, which is uh, that is a visible t- touched on apart from the obviously that when we manifested through our through the profession of faith, uh, we have we have the Holy Father who is very much a sign of unity, and that is why it's very important that we would be always uh, united to the Pope. There's a famous phrase going back to the Middle Ages, "ubi Petrus, ibi Ecclesia," where Peter is, there the Church is. Uh, and that is not just where Peter is physically, but where Peter stands uh, in, in his teaching role, that's where the church is to be found. And so that's why we we, we do well to go with that. Because again, here too, you see, in recent times, there have been a lot of people who have been very vocally uh, dissenting from both, obviously, Pope uh, Francis, but before that Pope, Pope Benedict, and indeed before that Pope John Paul, there's nothing new about that. But it, it comes up all the time. Nevertheless. Um, uh, the, the, the bishops and uh, the pope of course being one being the important uh, bishop have been constituted as saint paul says uh, to teach the church of god which he has ransomed with his blood so uh, we do well to be uh, to be aware of that too where peter is there is the church and so very much prayer for the church is also prayer for the unity of the church prayer for the holy father and for indeed of course you know in the case of every diocese prayer for the bishop who is the one who carries the the church in his diocese in a very definite way. Now, that being the case, um, we could also look at all of... We we could try to look for the good things as well because we always have to be encouraged in our prayer and realize that um, we always get a lot of, of the bad news but one of the one of the most extraordinary things, to my mind, and it is extraordinary, is the fact that the Church exists at all. is 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 miraculous. Uh, it is it is retained in being by the work of the Holy Spirit, because it is composed com- comprised of. You know, a, a thousand million people of vastly different cultures and languages. Uh, I don't know how many languages are spoken, probably over 150 or 60 languages. And how something like that could have, have, have any semblance of unity at all is, is is impossible. And yet it does. And it moves along at a, a rather, a, you could say more than moves along, it lurches along through history, through space and time. And it is, after all, it is the arc of salvation. Uh, That is the the vision that the the, the Vatican Council had, the church, the the Ark of Salvation. Uh, I mean, it's not a new idea, it goes back to Saint Cyprian. Uh, Saint Cyprian saw the church as the Ark of Noah. And uh, just as outside outside the Ark, nothing was saved, nothing can be saved outside the church. Uh, Now, that phrase, of course, has to be nuanced, but nevertheless, um, this this, this is the theological fact that it is belief in Christ that saves us. And um, you have that uh, famous statement of Jesus to his apostles, uh, without me you can do nothing. Uh, Not just, as in Augustine comments, not just a little or hard or difficult, but nothing at all. And uh, therefore, unless we are with Christ, and to be with Christ, we are with with his vicar, with the Pope. Now, the, the unity of the Church is, of course, an issue for us all, but it is also something that we entrust to the intercession of the saints, and uh, we do well, at, as we come to the end of our meditation, we entrust it, of course, to, um, to Our Lady, who, is, who has been given that beautiful title uh, by Pope John Paul, Mater Ecclesia, Mother of the Church. It's, sorry, it's not a new title, but he has given it a certain, uh, a certain importance and um, emphasis during the course of his pontificate, Mater Ecclesia. So we pray to Our Lady, look after the Church, the, the mystical body of your Son, which he has redeemed with his blood, that he will be always presented to him uh, like that vision of Saint John in the Apocalypse, like a bride, without spot or wrinkle, coming down from heaven from God. I give you thanks, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you for help to put them into effect. My Mother Immaculate, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.